part of this family? It is a family. We know each other intimately. You're going to learn more about me intimately today. And uh, hopefully we have the kind of relationships uh, with each other where we really know each other well. Amen. I know Peter's been preaching about uh, steps of walking by faith. And I appreciate, I just want to let Peter know, I appreciate you so much, bro. I love you. And I appreciate that you're really trying to make faith something that's practical in our lives and something we can really live out. Thank you, bro. Um, and if you, if you haven't heard Peter's last couple of lessons, you can go online and listen to it. And I would encourage you to do that because uh, we, we, as, as we continue to explore this idea of faith, we don't want it to be something nebulous or something that's theoretical. We want it to be something that's very practical in our lives. I think for so many people, Christianity is just that. It's a belief. It's, it's something nebulous. But, but, but concretely in people's lives, there's nothing to really walk by. And so we really want to encourage all of us, whether you've been a member of the church for 20 or 30 years here, or whether you're just visiting, to, to, to really embrace this, this path of walking by faith. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the righteous will live by faith? Okay, a number of us have heard that. It's in the Bible. We're going to look at it here today. Um, you know, I appreciate my friend Richard Liu. Richard goes to Cal Poly Pomona. Richard's a man of faith. He became a disciple last year. He's also a big fan of basketball. And this Tuesday night, uh, we're separating men and women in our midweek service. And the campus and the singles are going to have a, a, a battle on the basketball court. Now, this isn't the first battle. This is the second battle. And in the first battle, there was a lot of carnage. It was a campus carnage. The singles ministry thumped the campus ministry. But, but what I... It's okay to cheer if you want. That's fine. What I appreciate about Richard is he's a man of faith. He said, when, as soon as the, the game is over, he said, when are we going to do this again? We're going to beat the singles next time. And, and, and Richard's not just talking about it, but he's really trying to back it up. We've had basketball practices. Preparing. Now, if you, for those of you that don't know, Cal Poly Pomona won the national title this last year, Division II national title in basketball. And I just read online that uh, this year now, Cal Poly was invited to play Duke University at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Cameron, uh, Duke was the national champions of Division I. Cal Poly was the Division II national champions. So they're going to come together at Duke here in the fall, and they're going to play. Isn't that pretty cool? I think that's awesome. Needless to say, Richard knows a lot of influential people, basketball players. And I have a feeling this Tuesday night you may want to come and witness what's going to happen right down here at our humble Kingdom Kids Court uh, with the campus and singles ministry. You see, Richard doesn't just talk about playing basketball. He, he, he's making it happen. And that's what living by faith is all about, isn't it? It's not just talking a good talk. It's not just calling ourselves Christians, but it's really living by the Bible. And that puts the onus upon us as men and women who believe on God to really know the Bible. And to really put it into practice. The righteous will live by faith. Turn your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Yes, that is a book in the Bible. I was going to say, let's see who finds it first. 
I dare I say we might have a, a more of a challenge. Who's going to find it last? It's in there somewhere, I promise you. Before we uh, take time to read ourselves the book of Habakkuk, I'm going to put a few scriptures on the screen for us to read together. This one's from Romans chapter 1. This is Paul speaking. And Paul uh, quotes the book of Habakkuk. And it's this quote, the righteous will live by faith. And uh, if, if you know this, this, this phrase, you know, Paul uses it a number of different places in the New Testament. And you probably thought, like I did until a couple of weeks ago, that this was Paul's saying or Paul came up with this. But in fact, he did not. And in speaking to the Romans, the, the, the Gentile Christians in Rome, primarily uh, in Romans chapter one, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the English Standard Version, a little bit different. You know, the problem that the Gentiles were having, especially uh, living in a world of, of Jewish Christians, was uh, they, 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 they struggled with the idea of whether or not they should follow the law. And a lot of Jews believed that they should. And a lot of them kind of rebelled against that because it wasn't their conviction. It wasn't their religion. They were Christians and they were never indoctrinated in the Jewish tradition. And so there was a challenge within the church between the Jews and the Christians about what it meant to live by faith. And this is really important because we know from the Bible and we know from all that we've studied this year how vital and important our faith is. It's critically important. There's no better way to please God than with faith. We know that we learn about faith and we learn to live by faith by studying out the scriptures and putting them into practice. And so there was a challenge within the early church about what this meant, just like there's a challenge today about what this means. And Paul is trying to help a group of of Gentile believers to understand that it's not just a belief in your mind that uh, you kind of have up there. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Therefore, I'm a Christian. He said, you got to live by faith. You've got to live out these beliefs, the gospel, the good news, the things we preach about, the things Mike talked about when he welcomed us this morning about going out on campus and sharing our faith. We really need to live that way. That is the expectation that God has for us. And he wants to grow our faith. He wants to mature our faith. And he works in many, many ways to do that. He's probably working in your life right now. To mature and grow your faith. And dare I say, probably, if he's doing that, it's probably in ways that you would not choose. Like, if you were to choose, God, here's how I want you to grow my faith. He goes, no, that's not what I'm going to do. But what's important to see here is that this was the deep conviction of Paul. This is something that he preached when he was trying to uh, convince Those who are struggling with the idea of faith, that faith comes through grace. And it's by God. It's by God's providence and that we need to accept that and we need to live by it. This is one of the things that Paul talked about. This isn't the only place he talked about it. He talks about it here in Galatians chapter 3. A very different setting. If you know the book of uh, Galatians, uh, Paul is speaking to Jews now, specifically in chapter 3. And he begins the chapter by calling them stupid idiots in some versions. 
Doesn't sound very Christ-like, now does it? But he calls them that because they were getting off track. And down all the way down in verse 10, he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Why? For the righteous will live by faith. Here we have kind of the counter problem to the Gentile problem. You have the Jewish problem. The Jewish problem was we need to live out the law. We need to live out all of the law. And if we if we have this kind of ritualistic, these things we obey or these things we do, we're justified. And you go, well, I don't believe that. But, but honestly, I think a lot of times we do live this way in our Christian world. I'm justified if I go to church on Sunday. I'm justified if I give some money to the poor. Or I give my, my, my offering to God every week at church. Or I do this many hours of community service. Or if I read my Bible this many times a week. Or if I say this many prayers, I'm good. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way it works. The righteous will live by faith. Not by ritual. Not by a list of to-dos in our Christian life that we check off every day. And it's easy to be critical of the Jews and it's easy to be critical of the Gentiles. But what I want to help you to see this morning is I think we can be a lot like both of them. And so the challenge for us is to learn, okay, how do I walk by faith? How do I grow my faith? And this is particularly challenging for those of us who are older Christians this morning. How many of you would characterize yourself as an older Christian? Raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be ashamed. A lot of, a lot of people look up to you. You know, if, if, a, if a young Christian and maybe someone who's six months old in the faith or you're in the faith comes up to you and they say, well, well when did you get baptized? When did you come to the faith? And you say, it's been about 10 years now. And their jaw drops and they look at you like you're an archaic, you know, thing. You, you know that you're an older Christian right there. That's a pretty good sign. Even if you don't feel like one. But for, for us, this is particularly challenging. And, and again, uh, this issue is addressed. And this time it's in the book of Hebrews. And we're not uh, totally sure who wrote this. Many people speculate it's Paul. But you see the same... Uh, Origin of thought. You see the same range of thinking here that Paul uh, had in, in his earlier writings from this author. And look what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Now, let me ask you this. I kind of want to open it up so you can raise your hand, kind of classroom style here and answer. Why would Paul or anybody, whoever's writing this, ask for, for the disciples to remember the past? Yeah. Okay, so maybe you can improve your faith. Good. Somebody else. Why would he, why would he ask for that? When? Okay. Is that a personal confession, Lynn, or are you? <laughs> now no one wants to answer. I don't know how to answer anymore. Put my hand down real quick. Farrell. 
Okay, remember successes. That could be why. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Okay, we can lose our fire over time. Isn't that true? They say, think back. Remember the past. Yeah, over here. Yeah, don't they? Do you remember some stupid things you did as a young Christian with great faith and a great heart, but maybe not so smart? I can remember particularly a conversation I had with my father. And, you know, just really great faith and really believing. And there were just some things that didn't logically make sense with his belief system that I, that I wanted to talk to him about. It turned into a giant argument. And that's not what I, the way I envisioned it going, but probably a lot of the things that I had to say are what prompted the argument getting heated to begin with. Very foolish, some of the things I said. Not effective. But I can honestly say it came out of faith and zeal and, you know, a desire. A good desire, but it was, it, it was not wise. Remember the earlier days. When you stirred your ground in a great contest in the face of what? Suffering. You know, there's something about us as young Christians. We have an ability, an innate ability, and I believe it comes from just kind of a genuine faith, to go through really difficult times and just kind of be excited about it. Maybe it's the newness of our faith. I don't know what it is. But over time, I find myself complaining a lot more, don't you? We're going to talk about complaining a lot this morning. Because I think that when you have a, a room this size, you probably have a lot of complainers. You know why I believe that? Because I'm a complainer. I'm just, be- I'm just guessing. You know, I-, I bet based on statistics that we got a lot of complainers in here. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. Anyone ever suffer that? At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. I remember those times too. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Now, honestly, if the government came and confiscated your house today because you're a Christian, do you really think you'd be excited about it? Do you really think you'd rejoice? I mean, this is intense. This is what these people really went through. We don't face anything like this today. And I think specifically someone like me would really struggle with this because we and I, we're just kind of so indoctrinated into the materialistic United States culture that we're in. I mean, I walked into my garage yesterday and I'm like, I got to get rid of stuff. I got so much stuff. And I look around, I can't get rid of that. I can't get rid of that. I can't get rid of that. I mean, I use it like once every five years, but... I can't joyfully get rid of it myself, much less have someone confiscate it for me. Joyfully. But this is the attitude and the heart that our early brothers and sisters had. So, in light of all this, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. 
You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who believe and are saved. One of the unique things that I find in the scripture is that the measure of your faith, you go, how's my faith today or or, or where am I at? The, The way that faith is measured, according to this scripture, at least, is how do you handle suffering? How do you handle difficulty? How do you handle it when you're looking for the fastball and it's a curveball and you swing and miss? And you're looking at your family situation. You go, man, I swung, I swung and I missed. My family's a mess. You look at your job situation. You go, man, I, I swung and I missed. This is not going well. You look at your relationship in your marriage. You look at your dating relationship. Your relationship with your friends. You look at, at the dreams that you had early on in your life. And you look where your life is at today. You go, this is not what I had in mind. And what I see here in Hebrews is that the author is saying, look back to those early days of your faith because you stood up under some tough times. And you need to continue to do that. This is the measure of faith. This is where your faith is put to the test. This is whether we see if your faith is genuine or not. It's easy to have faith at the ICMC or teen camp, but what about when you go back to school and you're all alone and someone comes up to you and they ask you to do this or to participate in that? Now the test comes for your faith. Or you lose your job and you've got to pay the bills and you can't figure it out. Or some other challenge comes in your life. Now let's look in the book of Habakkuk. Why will we go to the book of Habakkuk? Because this quote, the righteous will live by faith, is first found in Habakkuk. This is not original thought for Paul. He quotes it. He goes back to the Old Testament and uses it. And hopefully we can learn from a great student like Paul and become great students ourselves. Because God has done some uh, amazing things in my own life. And in your life. And he's challenging us in our faith. Habakkuk was written about 605 B.C. Why is that significant? Well, it happens at a time when the Israelites are going through some pretty challenging things. First of all, their, their own society had become very corrupt. And Habakkuk is a prophet. He's a man of God. So he has a problem with this. And I would say it's not unlike our society today. We're, we're, we're trending away from God. We're entering, entering a post-Christian society. And if for some reason you think that isn't true, you need to open your eyes. It's just the way it is. And yet you have many, many women of faith who, who struggle with this and who wrestle with this. This occurs right before the Battle of Carchemish. This is a significant, huge battle where the Babylonians begin to invade this region of the world. The Egyptians put together all of their armies to fight and they cannot, uh, they cannot defeat Nebuchadnezzar. And so Habakkuk is a a dialogue between the prophet and God. This is what's happening here 
in the book. And it, it addresses the problem of what we call theodicy. And theodicy is when you have a problem with the fairness of God. Have you ever struggled with that? Now, I know growing up, we've had a, a problem with the fairness of our parents, especially if we grew up in a big family or we have brothers and sisters. Well, they got that. Why didn't I get that? And that's kind of what's going on here with Habakkuk. He's got a problem with God's fairness. Things don't seem to be going the way they should. Can anyone relate? Let's look here in Habakkuk chapter 1. And what does it say right there above verse 2? Habakkuk's complaint. How many of you have a complaint this morning for God? It's okay. Habakkuk had one. He's in the Bible. You can raise your hand. This is his complaint. Verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? You ever feel this way? God, my big prayers. I've been praying them this year. Brother so-and-so got his answer. Sister, what's her face? She's doing great. <laughs> what about me? What about me? What about my prayers? Why aren't you answering them? Or I cry out to you violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate Wrong. Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. What is Habakkuk talking about here? He's talking about his own people. We're supposed to be the people of God. And everywhere I look, there's injustice and violence and and, and, and bad stuff going on, God. Why do you tolerate it? It's shameful. It bothers me. I'm praying about it and you don't listen. Now, I know. All of us are human enough to have felt this way about God once or twice. But do you have the relationship with God to talk to him about it. Look at God's response in verse 5. This is a really cool scripture. Good news, Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. You know, I used to use the scripture as a young Christian to put it in people's cards. Just quote this one scripture. You're like, God's going to do amazing things in your life. If he told you right now all the things that he was going to do, you couldn't handle it. But I believe that God loves you. And he's going to be good to you. And he's going to do amazing things with your life. Now, like most young Christians, I didn't know the context of the scripture. <laughs> Verse five is really cool. I didn't really read the rest. But let's go ahead and read the rest, shall we? Because this is really good news. I can imagine Habakkuk going, all right, finally, my complaint is being heard before the Lord. 
Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. They are feared and dreaded. They are a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. They go on and on. Verse 11, they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Now, what comes above verse 12 here? Complaint number two. (laughs) Wait, 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 God. I don't think you heard me right. Our own people are messed up. They're blowing it. And you're going to bring the Babylonians in to destroy us. That's not the answer I was looking for. You know what I'm saying? This is not what I, this is not good news. I don't want to look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed at the bloodbath that's going to occur in my own backyard. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. And so we face the faith dilemma. The faith dilemma. What is the faith dilemma? The faith dilemma occurs when you hear a great lesson like you heard last week or the week before. And you are faced with making some decisions. What will I do with this? How will I live this out? What will I allow God to do? Specifically for me this year, and I don't know if you can relate. I've been praying for greater faith. I've been praying to see things that I've never seen before. For God to do amazing things that just will blow your mind. But he's not doing it. In fact, I feel like he's doing the opposite. You know, we, we have over the last number of years, we, we set goals in our ministry and see God bless these goals over and over and over again. And this year, it's just like, not so much. God, what's up? You know, and I, I speak to God in my own language. Dude, God, come on. Hope that's not too irreverent. But, you know, I I like to think of God. I mean, we're we're arm in arm. We're walking and we can talk and it's not happening. God, grow my face. God, help me. God, bless the ministry. God, bless my big prayers. I, I felt like this year so far, not even a sniff of a hope of a blessing on any of my big prayers. I've been fired up for those of you who've had many of your big prayers answered. It's just not been my experience yet. And so the, the, the challenge arises. The faith dilemma. How will God answer my prayers? That's my boy. He was a big boy. He still is. Ten pounds, three ounces at birth. You know, when you have your first child, people get you gifts and all kinds of stuff. They get you all the newborn clothes. At birth, Zane did not fit into all of his newborn clothes. We just had to get rid of all of them, give them to someone else. 
you go to the nursery at the hospital and you're like, where's Josh's baby? There it is. Look at that thing. I mean, that's like <laughs> double the sizes of everyone else's. How God answered my prayers. What's he going to do? Oh, that was too far. I could use help. Back up one. Thank you. There it is. There's Scarlet. Before all of her ringlets and everything else. They took Scarlet out early. Because they were afraid because of the complications Stacy had had in her first pregnancy. That uh, she was going to be a little big as well. Now Zane's collarbone was broken when he was born because he was too big. Um, so for the first four weeks they had like a little makeshift splint. and You know, break your heart. Um, but Scarlet was only... I don't know, nine something. <laughs> they took her they took her a week early, you know. <laughs> so how's God gonna answer my prayers? Okay, here's your answer. Your wife's pregnant again. What? <laughs> my wife's pregnant. What kind of answer is that? We get back from an incredible family vacation a couple weeks ago. Stacy's not been feeling well. She takes a whole pregnancy test. Sure enough, pregnant. She's crying. I'm laughing. We can barely stand up. It's like... God, I'm asking you to answer my prayer. And you're bringing the Babylonians into my family, and you're destroying. And of course, immediately, you get the response of people. Bro, congratulations! (laughs) Thanks. Oh, you must be really excited. No, I'm not excited at all. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? My daughter's going into kindergarten. We're finally getting out of this phase of our lives. We've gotten rid of all of our baby stuff. I walked into Babies R Us this week. Curse that store. I, I just, I thought, I thought I would never enter this place again. And Scarlett's in there running around. Ah, this is great. You know, and, oh my goodness. Oh, bottles and diapers and sleepless nights. And I was talking to a brother on the phone. And he's like, oh, bro, you must be so excited. I go, no, I'm not. And he goes, well, you, you know, you get, was it an accident? Was it unplanned? You could say that. Oh, yeah, I don't have that problem because I got that surgery, you know, so I'm, you know, can't happen. Yeah, so did I five years ago. Now, there's a section of brothers I'm watching right now are turning very pale. That's right. Oh, yes. God can do anything. And apparently he's doing something very strange right now, so you might want to go get checked. 
This is not what I wanted. This is not what Stacy wanted. I mean, gosh, there's, there's brothers and sisters in this church right now that I know have been praying to be pregnant for years. And I just cook. Can we transport, like teleport or something? I, I want their prayers to be answered, too. And, and, you know, I'm serious. I feel for you because it's not this was not what we planned. And I know it's not what you planned. And. There's so many things that we don't plan and, you know, we plan our lives a certain way, but God directs his steps and we wrestle with all this and you go, how does this work, God? We're just excited about our our lives being freer and being able to do more for the church and in our own mind, we got a plan and then God goes, nope, here's the plan. You know, if I wrote this book right now in my life, there would be a third, fourth and fifth complaint. But let's look in chapter two. Verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. In other words, God has a plan. It's not in our time. And it will be fulfilled. And he says, though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk, I know this is not your idea or your plan, but it's mine. It's going to happen. And you need to live by faith. You need to trust me that I know what I'm doing, that I'm benevolent, that I'm loving, that I'm going to take care of you. It's not your plan. It's my plan. Brothers and sisters, I don't stand up here this morning professing that I'm there yet. I'm praying that in nine months I'm going to be excited. (laughs) And my faith will be there. That's my curveball. What's yours? Here's one thing I think I do understand at least a little bit. This is happening for a reason. It's happening to us for a reason. And there's something in our faith that we've got to learn. And I don't know what it all is, but, but there's something. And your curveball is in your life for a reason, too. And it was in Habakkuk's life for a reason, too. We've got to let the challenges in our life grow our faith. The failures in our life grow our faith. The curveballs in your life grow your faith. If there's one thing you get from the lesson this morning, allow the challenge to grow your faith. Fight for that. You may not always be excited about it. You may have to work through it. It may take weeks or months, but fight for that. Let it grow your faith. Work through it. Verse 5 through 20 is, you know, basically God just saying, look, I'm in control. And he says at the end of verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God's reasoning with Habakkuk here. He's working with them, but he's saying, look, at the end of the day, I got it covered. Even if it's not what you have planned, I've got it taken care of. God rarely snaps his finger or presses a button. On occasion, he'll do that. But most often, he works through processes in your life. 
And he does that to help you out, to grow your faith along the way. And, and I know a lot of us right now, we're going through it. We're going through it with our job. We don't know if we're going to have a job next year. You know, we're getting our job hours cut now or we've been cut already. And, 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 and how we respond to that is a great test. It's a great challenge. Abraham didn't respond well to the first couple of challenges in his life. But at the end of his life, when he was called to be exactly like God and give his only son, his faith was there. He, he, he reasoned through faith that if I do this, God can raise him from the dead. That is faithful thinking. But he wasn't there the first time or the second time or the third time. It was a process. This is how God works. All of chapter 3 I love. Because it's the resolution. It's, it's Habakkuk's heart. It's his prayer to God. God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't like it or see it or it's not happening the way I want. And I'd encourage you if, if you, uh, you know, you, you, you not had anything specific you've been studying out in your own quiet times to take a week and study out the book of Habakkuk and, and find these places in the New Testament where it's linked because it's, it's really amazing stuff. And I think it'll really grow your faith. But I want to caution us that this cannot be a, a just a, a specifically a, a, a practice for our brain. There are things that God's doing in your life right now to grow your faith. And we've got to take what we learn in these times with God and we've got to try to put them into practice. For you, that might be just, you know, you're visiting with us and, and you realize, man, I really need my faith to grow. This is where you need to be to grow your faith. I promise you, your faith will grow here. And there are men and women that will help you and will study the Bible with you and teach you. And, you know, that was significant for me in my life as a college student because I'd grown up going to church all my life, but I didn't really know the scriptures. When you take the scriptures and you make them practical and you put them in your life, God will amaze you how he'll grow your faith. But many of us, we are older Christians. And we need to take the challenge to, to kind of remember, as the Hebrew author says, look back at your life and, and look at how you face challenges then and re-embrace the struggle. I will fight for faith now. God is going to continue to grow our faith for the rest of our lives until we meet with him in heaven one day. Look at the resolution of Habakkuk's prayer. Verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity. To come on the nation invading us. What is he saying here? I'll wait patiently to watch the destruction of my own nation. Okay, God. I'm ready. And then to me, what is probably one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This is the challenge. Is to be faithful 
to love God, to rejoice, even when the plan is not what we wanted, even when it doesn't go the direction we want it to go. And i got to tell you, this year, honestly, in my own life, it hasn't been going the direction I wanted it to go. And finding out this latest piece of great news has not necessarily improved it any. But I want to be committed to growing in my faith. And I'm realizing how much help I need, I think, a little bit. I need help. I need your help. You need mine. We need, we're in this fight together, this fight for faith. It's a battle. Satan wants to destroy. He wants to take us out. And, you know, I don't mean in any way to come across as ungrateful this morning for what God's doing in our lives. I think that this passage has really helped me to be a lot more grateful. It just was not anything like we had had planned at all. And the only thing I can take away from it is at least this didn't happen when I'm 50 instead of in my late 30s. Because it could have happened. I don't know if I could handle it. Apparently I couldn't because it happened at this age. Maybe it'll happen to some of you at 50. I don't know. I promise you if it does happen, I won't jump up and down and say congratulations. When I first hear about it, I'll try to sympathize a little bit. You know, for some of you, the challenge is, why haven't I gotten pregnant? Why not, God? What's your plan? I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. But that God has a plan. That God is love. That God has given his son for you. He values you and he cherishes you. You look at your family situation right now, you go, what happened? My head is spinning. How did we get here? How did we get to this place? God has a plan for you. God loves you. And he's trying to grow your faith. We must maintain this conviction until the day we die. If we do, we will at least end up in Habakkuk 3. And we'll be praising God, even though we look around and we go, I don't know. But amen. I don't know, God, but I love you. And I know you love me. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. You know, Habakkuk couldn't look at his nation and say that they were running with the feet of a deer or God had set them on a high place. But Habakkuk could say personally, this is what God is doing in my life. And I think the challenge for every one of us this morning is that we can pray this prayer personally. No matter what's going on in our church, no matter what's going on in our country, that we can say, God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He puts me on a high place. The challenge is before us. God is working. Sometimes he's working in ways that we would prefer he didn't. But my challenge to you is to live by faith. Embrace the struggle. Embrace the challenge. Embrace the difficulty. And trust in God. Trust that God has a great plan for you. 
God has a great plan for your Bible talk. God has a great plan for your ministry. God has a great plan for your family. And some of those plans he's not going to reveal to you now because they might scare the tar out of you. They might scare you when he does reveal them. But he loves you. He cares for you. And he wants your faith to be great. Let's fight individually and let's fight collectively to have a faith that God is proud of. To have a faith that flies. To have a faith where we see God one day and he says, you are righteous because you lived by faith. Amen.